Well, greetings in the master's name. Uh, I mentioned about the tent meetings, and uh, I guess that's one reason that Anne Mary's not along with me today. Um, we uh, want to go this evening, and traveling is rather tiring, especially for her. So thought she'd be better prepared for the meetings this evening if she stayed home and wasn't so wore out. So um, uh, now at the Pike, I don't uh, we I don't, and I don't think the rest of the ministry does very much either. I'd like to do more of it, but I thought, well, to, uh, here today, I'd just take a moment and see if anybody had anything on your heart you'd like to share. So if there's something burning on your heart and you want to say it, I'll give you a chance. And um, maybe you're not any more used to that than the folks at the Pike. Uh, so I'm not going to not going to tarry, uh, but I did want to share about, <clears throat> want to share something that um, uh, recently was um, a blessing to me to hear about um, one, of the <clears throat> one of the ladies that works at Christian Light, Lois Friesen, her family's been involved in, uh, in a different international uh, relief efforts and so on. She's been in the Middle East some, and her, uh, her parents and her sister have been working in a refugee camp in, in Greece. In fact, uh, it's sort of interesting, um, uh, this refugee, uh, if, you, um, if, you, if you look in Acts 20, and uh, Paul returning on his third missionary journey and gives the little hops where they, they go, uh, and so when they went from, um, from uh, from Europe back over to Western, from, to Asia Minor. But um, it says at the one point, I think, uh, when they were going from uh, Aso, Azos to Troas, I believe that's the way it was, that uh, they went on the ship, but Paul walked. It was about 20 miles, so maybe he wanted some time to meditate. But then when they left that port, they stopped at this island, and it said Mytilene. Well, okay, that's where a refugee camp is, uh, one of the refugee camps. and. Like the uh, at the very western tip of Turkey, uh, uh, Ismail is often where these migrants leave, and it's only about a 40-minute uh, boat ride over to that island. Then it's another, um, I don't know, 20 miles or something to that refugee camp at Mytilene. But that's the city where Paul, it says in in, in Acts 20, uh, verse 14, I think it is, that he stopped there just for one day. Well. But when they leave, well, okay, I'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to tell about is this, um, this uh, young man that, that Lois was telling me about that grew up in Mosul. And that's the city that, uh, that's the last big city that uh, the Iraqi army is getting ready to try to take over from ISIS. And, uh, but anyway, he grew up there and, uh, and, um, in a Muslim family, and he's Muslim. Uh, but one of his teachers was a Christian. Um, you know, they have different, um, uh, Iraq did have, um, it weren't, wasn't all Muslim, they were, but anyway, so one of his teachers was a Christian, so he had some knowledge of the Bible, and then after he um, finished the regular, I guess we would say elementary and high school, he was studying to be a doctor. Well, then when ISIS came in and took over Mosul, 
uh, his family there, but they didn't want to particularly support uh, to ISIS, and so they went to Baghdad, and they must have been fairly well-to-do. They had three homes and stuff, but when you leave out, that's it. You lose everything. And uh, so they, got to, they went to Baghdad, and then he and his father decided to try to get to Europe. Well, when they got to Ismail, there were the boats to leave to go over the island. His dad said, um, I didn't come here to die because those, those, those rafts, those dingies, the rubber dingies, and, uh, and they just pile them full of people, the smugglers do. And like I was reading about one guy, and it said after spending less than seven days in Turkey, he boarded a rubber dingy with 77 people and headed out to sea. Its capacity was written clearly for 18 people only. And um, so uh, anyway, so his father <clears throat> went back to Baghdad. And what happened later, maybe that was sort of providential, but anyway, he made it. And, uh, and uh, Lois's parents were working in this refugee camp. And Lois's father was sort of one that was responsible to kind of look over things, keep kind of keep an eye on things. And they noticed this fellow just kind of stood off to the side and, 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 and watched. And they didn't know what was up with this guy. And so, so Lois's father engaged him and talked to him, and he was glad to talk. He was just, uh, he, he was seeking, he was searching. And so they talked to him about the Lord. And uh, uh, <clears throat> he was glad to talk. And I think he was reading his Bible. I think Lois said, you know, when they would ask him, well, what did you learn your Bible today? He'd have something to share. But he was still Muslim. Um, and then... Uh, there were, there were some riots in that camp, and there were some, there were some threats against the, uh, the aid workers. And, um, and so um, most of the aid workers pulled out. Um, but before, before, her, before her parents left, uh, there was an incident where uh, there, was, uh, there was some unrest in the camp, maybe sort of a riot. And her parents were outside the camp enclosure, and her sister was inside. And her father wanted to go in and get his daughter. And, uh, and they said, no way. But this, this impressed us. This, this boy's name is Saif, S-A-I-F. And, um, and he was impressed that, that he, there, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. But anyway, they didn't let the father go in, but Saif and another fellow went in and brought some of the young ladies out. Um, and I think there was another incident in which um, maybe that was after her parents had left, um, where one of the um, aid workers was sort of attacked, and so Safe was pulling him off, and he and in the process he broke his shoulder. And uh, it was just a day or two later that this this young lady that was identified as an aid worker um, showed up, and I if I. I I don't maybe remember all the details quite right, but I think Lois said her face just kind of showing. Anyway, she asked him if uh, if uh, he he wanted her to pray for him, and she and she said he, and he said yes, and so she put her hand on his shoulder, and he said he could feel an intensity there, in that touch, and she prayed for him, and his shoulder was healed just like that. And Lois said it's not really unusual. There's, there's just a lot of miracles going on there. But anyway, uh, and she left, and he never could find her again. But anyway, he had friends and so on take pictures of his shoulder just, I guess, to convince himself and others. There were no marks. There was nothing left. It was totally, completely healed. Well, anyway, after her parents left, after the, after the aid group pulled out, except for just a few key people that were working with the government, 
he, he felt like a light had just left the camp. And he was hungry. He showed up at one of the one of the few aid workers that were left. He showed up one night and said he's ready to be a Christian. And uh, and so he was. And he just started telling everybody about Jesus. He just had he said he just had such a peace and joy in his heart that he couldn't keep quiet. In fact, Lois's Lois's father uh, suggested maybe he ought to moderate a little bit because the camp's mostly Muslim. And so here he is, he's a Muslim but became a Christian, and he's telling everybody else. And then, you know, at least in some of those countries, um, it's kind of a capital offense to, to, to convert from Christianity, from Muslim to Christianity. But anyway, he said he couldn't keep quiet. He just had this peace and this joy. He just couldn't keep quiet about it. And he said, and, and another part of the story was they were, they were trying to, uh, make arrangements to get him to the state so he could continue his medical studies. And he told him, just forget about that. He said, all I want to do now is tell people about Jesus. He said, I don't care if I'm killed. I'm ready to die. I know I'll go to heaven. And so he's still doing that. And uh, Lois said just this week, one of his best friends became a Christian. But his best friend is a Syrian Kurd, and they have top priority as far as being granted asylum. And so this, uh, he's already, this Edmund, already has his papers to be able to go to Athens and then to, on into Europe. Um, but what, what, there's two things that impressed me about that. One was how when he became a Christian, he was just so thrilled with his inner, what it, with his, the peace and the joy of Christ, he couldn't keep quiet about it. And the other thing that impressed me was in and Lois telling me about it, how thrilled she was. Now, of course, her family was involved. But you know, when we hear about something like that, we think, oh, that's nice. But the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. So anyway, well, this morning, um, the message is, um, I've titled the message, Life Powered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in our uh, Bible curriculum that we're working on, uh, CLE, uh, the, the uh, courses up through ninth grade are basically Bible surveys. Ninth grade is a survey of the Old Testament with a, with a focus on Christ. Then 10th grade is uh, going to be two half-credit courses, five-unit courses. Uh, one is on the Gospel of John, and the other is on the Sermon on the Mount. We're still working on those, but then... The one following those, if our plans carry, is going to be on the Holy Spirit. And uh, <clears throat> we've had a few meetings to just kind of lay the groundwork and think about how we can handle some things, you know, as far as teaching about the Holy Spirit. We haven't really given it a title yet. It's, it's just life in the Spirit. But I was thinking about a title, and I don't know if that's what it will end up, but I thought about life powered by the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about like, um, well, I, I was... Um, we talk about things being powered by something, you know, and uh, so I just looked up a few things and said the 2016 Nissan Titan XD full-size pickup powered by a Cummins 5-liter V8 turbo diesel is now on sale at Nissan dealerships across the country. The all-new Cummins 5-liter V8 turbo diesel engine is the driving force behind Nissan's Titan XD, generating 310 horsepower with 555 pound-feet of torque this revolutionary 32-valve engine produces energy power to tackle nearly any job. And if that's not enough, <coughs> you can <coughs> excuse me, you can move up to a 
a Ram Heavy Duty uh, equipped with a 6.7 liter Cummins turbo diesel producing up to 385 horsepower and 900 pound-feet of torque. Well, anyway, this morning we want to talk about life that's powered by the Holy Spirit. And we should perhaps be more thrilled with that than we uh, would be with a Cummins 5 liter or 6.7 liter. Let's turn to John chapter 3. <clears throat> John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered, Verily, <clears throat> verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. It's a, it's a spiritual birth, and it's, um, it's essential. Uh, the Spirit, The Bible says makes a new creature out of us. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the starting point. Now, go to the end of the chapter. Verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that received his testimony is set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Uh, two things I want us to think about there. Uh, that we would understand to be talking of Christ. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. Now, and the other thing I want us to think about is in verse 34, where it says, God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. And I, there again, I guess we're thinking about Christ. But are we, are we from above or are we from beneath. Uh, is, it, is it in John 8, maybe? Yes. When Jesus was talking to the um, Pharisees, probably it was, and um, Jesus said, I go my way and you won't be able to find me. And, and uh, they said, well, where is he going? Or, and he said, ye are from beneath, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Now, are we from above? Now, Jesus was, obviously, we know Jesus was from above. Okay. Now, are we from above or are we from beneath? And in thinking about that, 
Um, I, I guess we'd have to say that we're from beneath. We're born, we're born with a tendency to sin because of the fall. But once we're made a new creature in Christ Jesus, could we not say that we're also from above? And it says in John 3 that the person that's earthly speaketh of the earth and the one that and then speaking of Christ, it says, What he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no man receives his testimony. But in, in 1 John, uh, you know, it starts out, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. And it talks about we've heard him, we've seen him, we've handled him. And we want to share with you this joy. And that's speaking of things above. And that reminds me again of safe. Um, Now, the other thing I want us to think about here in these verses is the spirit without measure. Did Jesus have the spirit without measure because he was God, he was divine? Or did he have the spirit without measure because he was totally empty of himself? You know, we just say, oh, well, yeah, Jesus was God, and so, you know, everything just kind of came natural for him. But he was fully human. Uh, let's look at a few verses. John 5, verse 30. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. John six thirty-eight. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 8, 28 and 29. The latter part of 28. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And I'd like to propose that possibly at least the reason Jesus had the Spirit without measure was not so much because he was God, but because he was totally empty of his own ambitions and self, and he came totally as a servant. He was empty of himself. So therefore, he could be filled with the Spirit. And uh, that has some significant implications for us because filled and empty are two sides of the same coin. Uh, you know, God's glory or my glory. Jesus told them, he says, how can ye believe which receive honor one of another? And he said, I receive not honor from man. And so he was only interested in God's glory. And... Uh, See, that's, what did he say? Is that in John? Yes, that's in John 5, verse 41. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Uh, and when we were talking about it, was interesting, we were talking about some of this in one of our meetings, and the next day, um, 
Elmer Glick, who's involved in that, sent an email that he must be on some sort of devotional email list or something, and it was Empty Spaces. That was the title of the devotional, Empty Spaces. Uh, the background scripture was Ephesians 5:15 to 20. Ephesians 5:18 says, "Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit." And then this is, um, in fact, I, um, I I put some copies of this uh, on the table in the back because I'm not going to read the verses that had a lot of references here. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is attracted to empty spaces. Let me explain. We see him first in the book of Genesis hovering over the formless empty world. He filled the empty tabernacle with his presence. He filled Jesus who emptied himself of privilege. He filled the disciples at Pentecost empty of pride after getting their view of Jesus so wrong. We're to bring our thirsty souls to the spirit so he can quench them. And all these, there's references with all these. We're to, um, we're to offer our empty bodies as his temple. We're not to fill our hearts with wine but to fill them with the spirit. The Spirit just loves to fill a vacuum. If this is true, then it follows that there is such a thing as holy emptiness, and emptiness reserved for Him. Sadly, however, my heart is often so full of things that there's little space left for the Holy Spirit. Wine, wine isn't the only thing buying with the Spirit for our emptiness. Pride, greed, bitterness, and lust all compete to fill that space. Our worries, anxieties, dreams, and plans can consume us, while entertainment magazines and social media chatter social media chatter can fill us with empty noise. Is there space in our heart for the Holy Spirit? Will we seek to be filled with and yield to his leading? The good news is that we can. Confession clears away sin and makes space for the Spirit and forgiveness removes the blockage of bitterness. Worship empties our hearts of ourselves and prayer makes space for his voice. May we submit to the Holy Spirit today praying that he'll pour into our empty spaces. Let's turn to John 7. I'd like to look to, at some scriptures now as to what um, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. John 7, verse 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus said it would be uh, like an artesian well in our hearts, the Holy Spirit just overflowing. In John 14, or, uh, John 14, verses 12 to 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I don't know how you explain that verse. I, I, I think I asked it in Sunday school already. Um, what do we make out of that when Jesus said that we can do greater works than he did? That's what he said. And so it must be true. So anyway, what do we make out of that? 
Uh, Luke 24, 49, uh, the very end of Luke, where Jesus was just ready to ascend. He said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And we see that repeated then in Acts 1, verse 4. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then followed with the Acts of the Apostles. And so in verse 4 it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So in verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Jesus told them to tarry in the city until they were filled with power from on high. And, uh, and the same thing here in verse 4. So that's what they were doing in verse 14. They were continuing in prayer. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it happened. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they were praying for what Jesus promised. Now something that's impressed me is in Luke 11, which is parallel passage to some of the Sermon on the Mount. And you know it says, "Ask and you shall see; ask and it shall be given you; seek and you shall find; knock and it shall be opened unto you," and so on. And you know, uh, our heavenly Father is a good Father; He won't give uh, uh, stone if we ask for bread, and so on. And so you know we. We have needs, we ask. Some people carry that way different than what it means, you know, if they want a green lawnmower or something like that. But uh, here in Luke, it's, uh, the way it ends is, is, is pretty uh, amazing. Uh, starting in verse 9 in Luke 11, it says, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then talks about the son and the fish and so on, the father and egg. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So in Luke, it's tied directly to asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe I should clarify something here. Um... And that's for another message, perhaps, as far as the work of the Spirit in, in uh, regeneration and when we receive the Holy Spirit and all that. But Acts, I mean, Romans 8 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that's essentially saying that if you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But you notice also in the book of Acts different times when they, when they faced... Um, when they were up against it, when they faced challenges, they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what it's talking about here in Acts 11. We can ask for the power, the, the need of the Holy Spirit uh, in the things that we face. Uh, in fact, uh, just um, recently I had uh, emailed Daniel Miller about um, um, something uh, that I... Um, Well, this again is something that Lois was telling me as far as ministering to the Muslims community. There's a lot of them around Harrisonburg. And um, 
she was suggesting that uh, one way to minister them would be to teach teach uh, English. The, uh, they have excellent uh, uh, t uh, English uh, learning classes at Eastern Mennonite University, but they're expensive and most of them can't afford that. And the other ones that are free in the community by other organizations are just speaking classes. And, uh, and a lot of these immigrants, they're, they're educated and they want to learn the structure of the language. And so Lois was thinking if something like that would be offered, they would come to it. But anyway, I said something to Daniel. And then there's this lady, there's this, they do this, she, she does it every year in Lancashire. Um, she teaches a month-long intensive class in English as a, how to teach English as a second language, and then you get a certificate that's, that's recognized. And um, I was asking Daniel about, you know, if, if something like that could be offered in the Harrisonburg area. But anyway, he said um, that um, he just replied, one thing that has happened in other communities after Muslim impact training is that a group of interested people have started meeting together to pray specifically for Muslims and for ways to reach out to them in the community. I'm hopeful this can happen after this uh, Muslim impact training as well. Now, I don't know, was that announced down here, the Muslim impact training? Um, it's uh, September, I have the, a brochure along. It was, it was handed out in the churches up there. But at the Pike, uh, September 22 to 24 is gonna be this uh, Muslim impact training. It's a ministry of global impact for Christ. Uh, I'll leave this here with somebody so that you can make copies. I really encourage you to, ser to, to, to seriously think about uh, taking this in if at all possible. Um, and so, um, but anyway, uh, then Daniel, what I want to say uh, that could be a springboard perhaps for working out the details of something like this, not to mention that any attempt to reach into enemy territory like this needs to be covered in prayer. That's where that asking and seeking and knocking comes in. John Piper said, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. And so Jesus said to them just before he left, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Power. Power, and that comes from the Greek word dunamis. And um, that word, well, it's where we get our word dynamite. You're probably aware of that. But uh, the first use of it is Matthew 6.13, where thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then 7.22, it's translated wonderful works, and 11.20 is translated mighty works. Uh, that's pretty much uh, the way it's translated uh, ability, abundance, mighty deeds, uh, power, strength, mighty works, wonderful works, and so on. And so Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's why I say a life, life powered by the Holy Spirit. And not just for the dramatic but again, that's, that's another message. But what happens in our, 
in our being like body, soul, spirit, and what happens in our spirits when they become alive. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit and how that empowers us then to live a victorious life um, and to resist the, the uh, intrusions of Satan into the flesh. And um, we could go to Acts 2, and I think I'll kind of skip that. Um, that when when uh, the Holy Spirit came then on the disciples and Peter started preaching, and then, and then when he got towards the end of his sermon, or at least at one point, they said, what, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And then at the end of, at, at the end of Acts 2, you see how that worked out in their, in their daily living and uh, their fellowship and so on. But think about thinking about life uh, powered by the Holy Spirit. I wanted to read one incident that um, a group that was ministering in New York, this happened about five years ago. And this was somebody writing up about it. And they said, if ever I loved you, my Jesus, it's now. And they're writing as just like it happened. We are in the devil's war zone. We can feel darkness around us. We are praying, silent and intense, full of apprehension as we make our way from the peaceful umbrella of the trees in Union Square Park, down across the open pavers, past curious onlookers and aerosol-sniffing teens, towards the lone prayer station on the edges of a crowd surrounding a cross. Not the cross, just a cross. It was a fake, as were the Nylon bands where there should have been nails. It was a fake. For instead of a sign, the king of the Jews, it was a satanic five-point star and circle. The blocks to stand on were fake. The blood down over the shirtless back was fake. And the agony was fake. The whole thing was a fake. I'm still struggling with the image of the crowd surrounding that fake cross. Men and women were mocking, cursing, swearing, defying our Jesus. And here were Americans and tourists from all over the world watching this perverted entertainment, snapping pictures and even taking their own place at that cross. This crowd accepted their literature that boldly acknowledged that one day these followers of Satan's knees would bow to Jesus, but only after being forced by having their lads broken, followed by more blasphemy. All of it recognizing the truth of the Bible, but committed to being on Satan's side and sharing his punishment. And yet, surrounded by blatant evil, something was happening to us. The division between right and wrong was clear-cut. There were only two camps, God's and Satan's. And I believe as one, we were united to stand up for our Jesus. We could sense his presence. And as we sang that first song, I could tell that the rest of the group could feel the same power. We had arrived in that park, wore out and hoarse from singing all day. But these were new voices now. We were singing outdoors, but it sounded like the first song in a hardwood room with purpose of heart to defend our Savior, to witness for our Father and his Son in a way we had never done before. I will never forget that. The crowd that had been surrounding that horrible cross came over and listened, and I could see people drinking in the words. There was no doubt whose side we were on. Some encouraged us, some mocked. God brought song after song to our minds, and it was amazing how many songs we had memorized about our Jesus and his suffering on the real cross. We want to, we want to bring no focus on us because our little group was keenly aware that we had nothing but Jesus. We had everything, nothing but everything. A few from our group handed out literature. I felt the need to pray out loud, and I wrestled inside if it was even safe to close our eyes. 
I considered having us pray with our eyes open, and yet we could clearly feel the presence and protection of Jesus. We were there by divine appointment. We were there in the name of Jesus. We bowed our heads, closed our eyes, and prayed as one. People moved in closer, and cameras were going off all around us. We continued singing the power of prayer and the power of song. Praise God. The prayer station workers were grateful and encouraged by the support of other Christians in a non-confrontational way. The director was familiar with Lebanon and God's missionary church and has been at this spot in Union Square for some time. The song that sticks out to me the most is, My Jesus, I Love Thee. We have sung that song many times in New York, and it is a special one to me. But as we sang it there in Union Square, it was more emotional, more intense, more real than I ever experienced. I am so grateful for God arranging our day like this. It was so good for me to be reminded in a vivid way how that, how that must have been for Jesus, surrounded by people mocking and intent on killing him and completely abandoned by his disciples. And yet he counted that as joy, despising the shame because he loved us that much. His tremendous love is the only explanation on why God didn't strike people dead there at the park on Saturday. How else could he withhold judgment? I felt anger at those people and later sorrow. What will their fate be like? We cannot get how bad it will be. We had to walk through that awful satanic crowd to head to the train station and they parted for us. I believe that the presence of Jesus, the angels surrounding us, the visible sign of power on the ladies' heads, the practical Bible living expressed, and the innocence made even Satan's followers fall back. Praise God, we saw young children in that group who hardly stand a chance. How heart-rending. Heart Thank you, God, for arranging that evening. It strengthened my faith so much to know that God wanted us there and to feel his power and presence like we did. It helped me to see clearly that there are only two sides, right and wrong, and no middle ground. Help me to be strong, Lord. Help me to be a man of integrity. trying to find a verse. Um, I guess, yes, uh, Paul, uh, speaking to the Ephesian elders, on his way to Jerusalem said none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and a ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God let's kneel for prayer Father, this morning as we come to you, we thank you. We have a Heavenly Father to come to, one who cares for us, one who desires to give us uh, the best and who knows our needs even better than we know them ourselves. Thank you for your, your plans and purposes for adopting us into your family, for making possible we can call you our Father because 
of uh, Jesus and his blood. It cleanses us from sin. Thank you for the Holy Spirit you have sent to live in us and as individually and also as, a, as the body, the body of Christ. And thank you for the truth that we have learned and that we have to share uh, absolute truth, Father, in the midst of the uh, confusion of our day. So may our lives truly be powered by your Holy Spirit to glorify your name and to minister to the needs around us. Father, we, we also uh, acknowledge our need of forgiveness uh, for the many ways in which we do not uh, glorify you as we should. We uh, pray, cleanse us from secret faults and keep us back also from presumptuous sins. And fathers, we look forward to another week as you tarry. We, we uh, pray, protect us from the evil one. Help us to not only live uh, uh, carefully and defensively, but to live offensively to uh, allow you to use us uh, we would be your 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 vessels uh, to 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 minister to those around us and uh, so whatever may be our personal situations our our struggles our challenges father you might just uh, strengthen and empower us with your presence and comfort us and uh, and bless us for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I put on the back a table there. I put that thing about empty spaces. And then I also put some copies of that um, account there about New York. And then I, I left a few of these there too. Um, uh, when the Spirit's Fire Swept Korea. It was about uh, by Jonathan Goforth. Uh, it's just a brief account of, uh, I think it was about the turn of the century, a uh, hundred years ago, a little more, uh, what happened in Korea. So help yourself. Let's see, have a song uh, yet? Yeah.